Well, welcome to the hope. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. We just went through another election cycle. And that leads me to this. Satan's half-truths versus God's truth. How many of you, as we've gone through this election, I mean, you're just like, oh, it's never going to end. I, I must have gotten like 20 texts every day telling me, from both sides, telling me who to vote for. It's like, stop it! Yeah, it was, it was annoying. Whose voice do you listen to? Yeah, you're so quick to say that, brother. We'll see. As your pastor, though, what I observed was that most Christians, most people that follow Jesus, they moved in grace. They, this was actually a pretty good election. I think the last one, people lost their marbles. Now that we're on the other side of the election, there are many questions that obviously we're going to still need to answer. But one question that does not need to be answered is this. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He is. And His church's main responsibility is to prepare themselves to be ready to be a church without spot or wrinkle. And I know that's an old King James vernacular. It just means to be holy, to be pure, to be walking in the Spirit throughout your day and your week and your month. And when Jesus comes back, He's going to find us living holy and pure lives. And the second part is we are to bring along as many people with us as we can. Introduce them to His story. Introduce them to the good news that Jesus brought to this planet. As Scripture says, let your light shine before all men. Let them see your good deeds which will bring glory to the Father. That's all I'm going to say about it. So there. Now tomorrow is an annual holiday. For some. We already heard a little bit. What is it? Opening day of whitetail deer hunting. Is that day after tomorrow? That's right, it's only the 14th tomorrow. I got ahead of myself. No wonder you hunters are here. I was thinking, man, this place is pretty full with deer hunting tomorrow. That makes more sense. If you are or ever have been a hunter, you know what I mean by it's a national holiday. Right? I remember when I went to... Uh, Grand Ledge High School, and, and this was farm country down just outside of Lansing, and we would get the day off, and I think they still do that in some schools up here. They don't do that down there anymore. Today, if you're not a hunter, I wanted just to share a little bit about what the white-tailed deer hunter might do as he goes after that uh, illustrious sneaky buck, because it has something to do with how the devil hunts us. And there are a lot of similarities. Wise hunters spend several months before opening day studying their quarry, that elusive monster buck. And we already heard from Aaron that he's hoping that he finds him. Right? You're probably not baiting because you can't do that anymore, but accidentally dropping a trail of apples out there as you go to your... Never mind, I didn't say that out loud. That was an inside thought. The big bucks are the first to disappear in daylight, and they're last to show up at dusk. Ah, oh, it makes you so mad. How many can say amen if you're a hunter? You look for those telltale signs that help you locate your blind, and, and a blind is simply... it's blind to the deer. You, you uh, hide it, you make it blend into whatever the surroundings are so that you could sit behind it and hopefully in comfort. Uh, I've been in some of those things where they have heaters and they have a solar panel on top and 
you know, they're probably watching TV. I don't know. I don't know how you'd get a deer without watching the deer, but poor deer. You watch for him on your trail cam. And he knows, you know that he's in your neighborhood, right? Because you see it all the time, but it's always at like 2 a.m., 4 a.m. It's never at 7 a.m. The hunter looks for the scrapes on the saplings, the spots where they mark their turf. You know what I mean? Yeah. With this and, and other things that come out of them. And you also look for other signs that give clues that there's a big one nearby. And most hunters know this, and I say most because I've been out there, I got there early, I had it set up months before. Most guys know that you're supposed to set your blind up months before opening day. But some of those knuckleheads, or as one man used to say, chuckleheads, they go out like the day before and put their blind out, and then they wonder why they never see a deer. It's like, duh. You want your blind to be there for at least a few months so they get used to it, right? And they don't get spooked when you're sitting behind it. The hunter must understand how a big buck thinks, what drives him, and if they want to get a chance at a real trophy. As the big day approaches, they wash their clothes in non-fragrant detergent. They even use non-fragrant soap. So that when they get out there, they don't smell like lily of the valley. A sure sign there's a human nearby. My dad actually used to take his hunting clothes, put them in a garbage bag, and then throw pine boughs or apples in there. And he'd <laughs> draw them in. If you didn't know this, bucks have a keen sense of smell. To help cover that human scent, some hunters decide to take another step. They use fox urine or doe urine, which actually draws them in, believe it or not. And there's another one, skunk scent. Oh, yeah. I have a funny little story that goes with that. If you choose to use skunk scent, take it from someone who learned the hard way. A little bit goes a long way. When I was in my 20s, I decided that I was going to set my blind up or sit down on a runway that I had picked out. And there was this nice, great big oak tree right along the trail. And I found this skunk scent. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to put some of that down and they won't even know that I'm there. And of course, it says to put a drop or two around you. Well, in my head, in my 20s, I'm thinking, well, gee, if a drop or two works... How many would several help? To, you get where I'm going with this? So on all four sides of my blind, at about 5.30 in the morning, I put my little drops, and then I sat down with my shotgun over my lap. This is downstate, so we couldn't use the rifle. And daylight came, and about 30 minutes after daylight, the wind started to change and blow toward me. And I'm sitting there going, I mean, I almost had the bail. It was so bad. However, it worked. I look up, and I hear this rustle, and this doe starts walking right toward me. I didn't have a doe permit, though. She gets right in front of me. She literally, her head, her nose is right here. And she's staring at me. And I didn't move. I just sat motionless, and I'm, I went, and I didn't exhale. Well, how long can you hold your breath? And she stood there, and I didn't take a real big breath when I inhaled. And after about 30 seconds, I'm like, i got to breathe. So I just kind of went, and she either heard it or she saw that little puff of steam come out of my neck. That's how close she was. And she grunted. And she bolted. She saw that. I could have clobbered that thing with the end of my gun. That's how close she was. So the skunk scent worked to at least keep the doe from smelling me originally. But I never saw a buck that day. So it was kind of sad. But 
I didn't get a deer. I found this online. This is a 1943 Michigan deer record. 65,000 deer were killed. Hunters killed or wounded 60. Small game season was even worse. 1943. Obviously, they didn't wear orange back then. (laughs) If you ever wondered, why do they wear orange? Deer can't see color, supposedly. And uh, hunters can. So wear your orange, men, ladies, and when you go out there and be safe. If you're a hunter, would you just stand if you're willing to let everybody know? Can we pray over these guys? And you may not be one of those that likes to kill deer, but listen, it's a good thing in the sense that we have so many. We've got one of the biggest herds in the nation. And that's because we manage them. And if we didn't take some out, they would starve in the winter because there's not enough food. So, and these guys feed their families. So, Father, we just thank you for the hunters. And we just ask you, Lord, that you would just keep them safe when they go out. Help them to get a chance to shoot a nice deer this year and uh, to feed their families. And, Lord, we just commit each one into your hands. Loose angels around them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, man. That brings me to a new series that I'm going to start today, and hopefully it will be one that's going to help you as you fight the battles of this life. How many know we're in a battle? We're in a battle of life and death. And I'm going to go into more background uh, next week, but this week I just wanted to show you some of the tactics that the enemy uses to try to ring our bell, to try to get us to do things that we shouldn't be doing. As we study this out, we're going to gain understanding about how our enemy works. And I don't want to cause fear. That's not my intention. God did not give us a spirit of fear, did he? but he gave us one of power and of love and of a sound mind. On the contrary, God wants to help you and me understand this enemy. And the more we understand him, the better prepared we're going to be. God has given us weapons, God-given weapons, to use against this adversary. Jesus defeated him at the cross. And our job is simply to Take hold of that victory that's already been given and proclaim it. Give it license in our own life. And that will ensure that you get the victory in Christ. Amen? Like the hunter, the deer hunter, the devil, he studies your habits. He gets to know you. He isn't omniscient. He doesn't know everything like God does. He wants to know, do you read your Bibles? Do you pray? Do you treat your family well? Or do you live a life of sin? He wants to know that. The devil is subtle. He doesn't broadcast his tactics to you. He doesn't come at you full on so you'll see him coming. No, he's sneaky. And he knows that most people don't begin sinning with the big ones. You know what I mean by that? He starts with the little ones. Just putting your foot over the line just a little bit. Just crossing the line just a little bit, and 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 what? Till it's too late. That's what he does. Can I get a good amen? That's truth. Here's the other thing. As he does this little by little by little, he's searing your conscience. He's getting you to feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit less and less because every time you do something over and over and over and over that you're not supposed to be doing according to Scripture, 
You're searing your heart. You're searing your conscience. Meaning that eventually you're going to be hard-hearted. And when the Holy Spirit's up here saying, stop, 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 you don't hear it any longer. Does that make sense? Are you understanding this? I want to look at Genesis 3, beginning with verse 1 today. We'll get into this more as the series goes ahead, but today I'm going to focus on this. From the New Living Testament, we read in verse 1, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Note that the devil shows up just as another animal. Now, I have a question here. Is that okay if I question once in a while? And I don't have an answer for this. How many animals talked? Okay, a parrot can talk if you train it. But this isn't what we're seeing here. This, this reptile, serpent, he's having a conversation. And this woman, who, who is the mate to the guy that named all the animals, didn't even question it. I'm like, okay, if that was me, and I heard the first animal ever speaking to me. What would I do with that? Wouldn't I at least go to my husband and just say, Hey, Adam, what's up? This critter over here is talking to me. Have you talked to him? Or better than that, maybe I'd go to the Lord who came every day and walked with them and talked with them and maybe say, Hey, Father, Abba, you know there's a talking serpent? But it doesn't appear that happened. It kind of baffles me. This is one of the questions maybe I'll want an answer to when we get to heaven. Maybe. Maybe it won't matter because it's going to be so glorious. Needless to say, this fact didn't seem to jar her in the least, and the devil here is showing his slipperiness. So the first thing I want to point out is this. Satan, the devil, the archangel, who was cast out of heaven, when he messes with you and me, he comes at us not as our enemy, but he masquerades as our friend. Are you hearing me? How many times have we been misled by a friend? How many times have we ignored God's wisdom because we felt like a friend was leading us somewhere else and we listened to their voice, not God's? This is truth. And that's what's happening here in this passage. Satan tries to get into our heads and to get us thinking that he is looking out for us. But he's not. Just the opposite is true. Whenever you face this shrewd, cunning adversary, he is always going to be subtle in his approach with you. He isn't going to show up as that mighty, ugly, demonic dragon that he is described as in Revelation. That's not who you're going to see. In fact, you're probably going to see something to the contrary like a, an angel of light. Oh, how pretty. Sadly, Eve and Adam took the bait. The shrewdest of all animals was in the garden. And he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did God really say? The devil knew that if he could get the human or humans to question God, then he had them in his clutches. 
And I want to point out the fact that what the devil asked Eve was a, what I call a half-truth, which is simply a lie sandwiched between the truth. We see a lot of that today. And it's our responsibility to figure out if it's truth or if it's a half-truth. How do we figure out if it's truth? I'm going to talk to you about it. I'm going to talk to this more. But this right here, this is your compass. This is your barometer. This is what's going to help you to decide whether or not it's truth or a half-truth. Satan uses half-truths to trip us up. Can you see the half-truth in this verse? Raise your hand if you see it. All right. Many of you? Let's see if you're right. I've underlined and highlighted the word. Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Did God say that? God told the couple they could not eat the, tr- eat the fruit from... He did not tell them they could not eat the fruit from any trees. In fact, he told them they could eat from all the trees but one, except one. Let's look at that real quick. But the Lord God warned him, Adam, you may freely eat the fruit of, and these are my highlights, every tree. Everybody say every tree. tree. You can eat from every tree in the garden. Was God holding back? Except the tree. Except. The exception was one stupid tree in the whole garden. How many of your kids, when you tell them they can have whatever they want, but leave that alone? What does that do? As rebellious, sinful humans, it it immediately makes us want that more than anything. Oh, you tell me no, now I want it. I'm not saying that's what happened here. But it is human thinking, certainly. Except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So God has explained to this man, and obviously he shared that with his woman, his wife, that they were to leave that one tree alone. Any of the others, fair game. Any plant, any tree, except that tree. What was the devil's ploy here? He made it sound like they were missing out if they didn't eat from that forbidden fruit. Put this in a modern context. Today the devil is just as cunning just as hateful, just as wicked, just as evil. And he still asks us this question. Did God really tell you not to fill in the blank? What will it hurt if you have sex out of wedlock? Well, it's going to bring guilt. You're always going to have memories of another that you've slept with. And when you marry, you're forever a girl or guy. It's not going to be a pure setting. How many will have an abortion? Did God really say don't have an abortion? Yeah. It's called murder. And here's the thing that people don't get. The residue of guilt that's left behind from this, the women have to deal with that the rest of their life. Will God forgive? I believe He will and He can. Or He can and He will. But that's not the point. Did God really say that it was okay to have an abortion? 
or not. This is another way that we make ourselves God. What does it matter if you get drunk on alcohol or high on drugs? I did a ride-along Friday with a state police trooper, and, you know, I tag along. I do everything they do. I don't carry a gun, but... Man, the people that are messed up out there, drunk and high, it's sad. They're ruining their lives. Your reflexes, they're gone. They're shot. (laughs) Self-control, decision-making ability, and all of this leads to destructive choices. Amen? The second thing I want you to know about the devil is that he has one motive. He wants to destroy people. And when I get into this next week, I'm going to kind of get into why, why the devil has this power over us. Why did God let him rule the earth in the original sense? And why did Jesus have to come? We're going to talk about that next week, and it'll really help you to understand who, who our adversary is and what Jesus has done for us. But today, know this. The devil has one motive, and that is to kill you. He is not here to make your life better. He is not here to offer you a better life. He is not here to make you smarter. You know, that's one of the things that Lucifer, the devil, said to Eve. Oh, you'll be wise like God. It is not to make you freer. In fact, when you buy into what he's selling you, what does it do? You're in bondage. Not, he doesn't give you freedom. He ties you up to do his good bidding. That's a poor choice of words. To do his bad bidding. According to Jesus' own words, and I know you've seen this, the thief's purpose, the thief is, of course, Satan. His purpose is to steal. Read this with me. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. My, of course, is referring to Jesus. The destroyer, Lucifer, the devil, he wants us dead. He wants you dead. And if you listen to his cunning half-truths, he will destroy you. And that's why Jesus came in the flesh. He came to warn us about that impending doom. Jesus said of himself in John 14, 6, another very familiar passage or verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. What is Jesus referring to when he speaks of the truth here? Himself? That's a good answer. The things that he taught, if go back to uh, Matthew 28 where he said, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. By the way, we're doing that next Sunday right here. If you're ready to get water baptized, if you've given your heart to the Lord and you want to go to that next step, come next Sunday, sign up out there, come next Sunday ready to get wet and bring a dry set of clothes and So you can do that and then not have to sit here in the wet. Yeah, that's going to be fun. John 8, 31. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples, what? If you remain faithful to my teachings. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. So, Can we say, looking at this verse right here, these two verses, can we say what the truth is? It's right there. 
Remain faithful to my teachings. The truth are the teachings of Jesus. Some people say, well, yeah, but what about all those other books in there, all those epistles, all those writings from the apostles? They're good too. God ordained them. But if you get hung up on this, read the first four. I don't care. Just do Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You will still be on the right path. But the words of Jesus, they are truth. And there is no other truth outside of that. We can come up with all kinds of things. But there's only one truth. Where does the truth come from? God's Word. Read that with me. Where does the truth come from? God's Word. Which is what? The Bible. Thank you. The truth in the garden came from God Himself. God spoke to Adam and said, Do not do this. That should have been enough. That was the truth. And God told them the result, the consequence. There's always a consequence when we sin. And in this case, it was you will die. You will die, which meant the first couple, they were intended to be immortal if they hadn't sinned, if they hadn't listened to that serpent. But the devil twisted the truth, convinced the couple to eat from that tree, and Satan, God's enemy, our enemy, we understand now that he is the master of deception. So the third thing that I want you to understand about the devil is that he will deceive you if he can. He will deceive you if he can. He's going to try. And the only way to fight back is you're moving in the right direction. Take it to the next step. You know the Scripture. You want to know the truth? There's only one way. Read it. Get it in your heart. God called it manna, the bread of life. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from heaven. Hello? Does it get any clearer? If you want to know how to avoid the traps that Satan is going to set for you, get into this book. Some of you may say, that's a big book. It is. It's got 66 different ones in it. And if you're overwhelmed by how, how large it is, just start at the New Testament. There is an index in here. Start at the New Testament. Look for the, the little title of Matthew and start there. And then just go to the end until you get to Revelation. When you get done, you're going to be wise beyond your years. And then what do you do? Well, I've read the Bible once. Do it again. again. Go back to the beginning. Because by now, you've cut your teeth. Now you're ready for the rest of the story. How did Jesus get here? That's what the Old Testament's all about. It explains it in detail. The truth in the garden came from God when he told them not to eat from that tree. We know that Satan twisted the truth. He will deceive us. And I wanted to say this because, and I've said it before, but it's important to understand, Lucifer is a counterfeiter. He tries to look like the angel of light. He tries to come off as your friend. So how do you know if you're dealing with genuine truth or half-truth? God or Satan. You have to know what the genuine is. A bank teller. 
they don't look at all the different counterfeits that are out there. And there are some good ones today. They don't look at all the counterfeit money. They look at the original article. They study it so they know every little bit about it. So when that fake hundred comes across, boom, they see it. That's not real. And we are to do the same. The more that we get this in us, the good news, the words of God, the more we get this in our hearts, the better prepared we are to see it coming and to go, that's not genuine. That's not God. And then if you take the plunge, it's your fault. And it's your fault anyway if you don't take the time to get into the Word. Well, I can't read very well. That excuse was shot when the cell phone came out. If you have an iPhone or a computer, you can turn that thing on and it will preach to you. You can literally listen verse by verse to any almost any translation that you want. So you don't have any excuse if you can't read. Just turn it on and listen. But I do recommend trying to understand and read it if you can. We have the Word of God as the truth. The Word of God is the genuine. But the devil goes around convincing the people of the world, did God really say? He gets people to question him. Right? Only the Bible is truth. Only the Word of God can be trusted. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples. John 10, 26 to 30. Jesus said, my sheep, everybody go, we're his sheep. Now I know sheep are dumb. All inferences intended. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. No one can snatch, snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me. And he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand Father and I are one. We just concluded that story, right? You understand the Trinity. They are one. Listen, when you put your trust in Jesus, you're safe. You're on safe ground. That's what he's saying. And if you listen to his voice, how often should you listen? You know what we do, though? How many of you had parents who loved you? Some of you probably can't raise your hand, but those who, who do, who did. And, and I had parents that loved me. And they looked out for me, and they tried to help me make good choices. So what did I do when I wanted to make bad choices? I got out of their sight. Come on. How many of you were teenagers ever? Because you knew what they'd say. You can't do that. Well, if I can't see them and they can't see me, I'm not going to hear their voice. At least that's the theory. We do this with God, the Holy Spirit. It's like we're getting out of His sight. But how many know you can't get out of God's sight? (laughs) It's futile to try. A waste of time. He knows what you're up to. He knows what you're about. Whether you're sleeping. It sounds like somebody else. Never mind. 
He knows when you are good or bad. We just watched a Christmas movie last night. I'm sorry. I want to close with a quote from this article out of Decision Magazine, which is a, um, yeah, not Billy Graham, his son. Franklin Graham's ministry now, and it's by Andrew Brunson, and he said this, here is a principle we should live by. Say what God says. Look at your neighbor and tell him that. Say what God says. Say it again. Say what God says. I must choose to say about everything what God says about it. Does this make sense? Isn't that what we've been talking about here this morning? I must say about myself what God says about me. Not what the government says about me. Not what I say about me. What God says about me. I must say about others what God says about them. How cool would it be if we bought into this? How much help would it give you if you did this in your daily living? And when the enemy comes up and he starts pouring his half-truths, lies into your head, all you've got to do is, all right, what does God say about this? What does God say about me? Whose voice are you listening to? Would you stand with me? Whose truth do you accept? Satan masquerades as your friend. He is not. He peddles half-truths. The world peddles false truth. Hello? I think we have we've found ourselves in this predicament where we lean more on government than we do on God. It can't be that way. Not if we want to live for God. We're going to be called to make a decision, a choice. And I'm not prophesying this, but I've said this many times in the past. There may come a day, and it could come soon, when if you say Jesus Christ is Lord, you could put yourself in jail. If you don't remain silent about Him, you will be put in jail. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. It could happen overnight, folks. And this is why we must get this into our hearts. Because if you end up in prison, chances are good, you're not going to have this with you. You're only going to have those little remnants that you've tucked away in here. They can't take that from you. God's Word is an assault to Satan himself. He hates it. And he hates the people that buy into it. And he hates the people that confess it. And he hates the people that share the good news of Jesus Christ. And he'll do whatever he can to shut the church down. But God is saying, don't let him have his way. I've given you the victory. And it cost him his life. And I'm not saying that it's going to cost you your life. But I am just throwing this out today that living a Christian life may not be easy forever. We've been blessed not to have to fight like that. Because this country has been pretty open to Christianity. But it's changing. And we've got to see that for what it is. The devil is twisting things, convincing people that the good book 
isn't so good. It keeps people from freedom. You hear my, what I'm saying? The Bible will keep people from being free. Who does that sound like? That's not Jesus. Jesus, has said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Preach Jesus. Live for Jesus. And then things will work out in your life. Bow your heads with me, would you? I just want to ask today. I know the devil, he is very active. He knows his time is coming short. It's just about up. And he's going to do everything he can to take as many of us to hell with him. Don't let him have you. Don't let him have your family. Do what you need to do. Fight in the spirit. Pray fast if you need to. Get understanding about what the truth is so that when Satan comes at you full bore with his half-truths, you're going to go, ah, I know what that is. That's not from God. When he tries to trip you up, you're going to have more than enough to say to him, get behind me, Satan. Greater is he who lives in me than the devil that runs this planet. We'll get into this more next week. But right now, if you're struggling with any of this and you just want prayer, you just want to just a, re- a do-over, if you will, with God today, just lift your hands so I can see it real quick. Thank you. Anybody else? Yep. Hands going up all over the room. God bless you. Let's pray this. Would you pray this with me? Heavenly Father, I am so glad that Jesus is seated at your right hand according to Scripture. And he said, he was praying for me. And I received those prayers. Father, forgive me if I have sinned against you or against man. Help me, Lord, to know the truth that sets people free. Today, With this forgiveness, I say out loud, I want to love you. I want to serve you with all my life, with all my heart, with all my mind, and all my soul. I give you what I have. Use it. Spend me, Lord. In Jesus' name. And help me to cross that finish line and bring you glory. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We've got a real battle ahead of us, folks. When you go out of here today, know that you are carrying the light of Jesus in you and with you. I'll share more on this next week, but what is evil? Somebody said, if God is pure and God is holy and only good is in God, how could there be any evil? I'll talk about that next week. And what one person said is this what is darkness darkness isn't a thing it's always been darkness just exists darkness is the absence of light so when you take the light into wherever you live play serve there's no darkness or at least it's minimized so do that okay do that give the devil a headache this week 
let them know that you serve the King and He lives in you. Let His light shine. God bless you. Have a great week this week.